Special counsel Jack Smith gets key grand jury testimony from Donald Trump's former top personal aide and body man, Nick Luna, who was with Trump on January 6th and also observed Trump tearing up presidential records throughout Trump's time in office. So that pretty much just leaves Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, and a few others as the remaining witnesses for special counsel Jack Smith to put before the grand jury in Washington, D.C., investigating Donald Trump's crimes. MAGA. What does MAGA stand for? Make attorneys get attorneys. Trump's lawyer, Tim Parlatori, who also testified before the criminal grand jury in federal court in Washington, D.C. back in December of 2022. Well, he resigned this week after Donald Trump went all in on the just acknowledging that he stole thousands of government records and he declassified them telepathically, right? He said that during that so-called CNN town hall and that contradicted statements that Tim Parlatori made to Congress very recently in a letter to the Republican-led House Intelligence Committee and likely also contradicted what Parlatori said to the federal grand jury. Make attorneys get attorneys. Again, that's what MAGA stands for. Rudy Giuliani is the living personification of that concept. He was sued in two new lawsuits this week, one for sexual assault of his former assistant and one lawsuit in federal court from a grocery store worker in Staten Island who Giuliani lied about and claimed that this grocery worker assaulted him back in June 2022 when the worker actually just patted him on the back. And in a separate lawsuit, Giuliani's lawyer quit for not being paid by Giuliani. And in a separate lawsuit for defamation brought by Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who he defamed, the federal judge ordered Rudy Giuliani to provide his full financial condition under penalty of perjury since he claims he is now too broke to search for documents and electronic records as part of his discovery obligations. Then we go to Georgia. Make attorneys get attorneys. In Georgia, uh, the election worker lawsuit that I just mentioned, brought by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss against Giuliani, through that case, we also learned that uh, through the third-party subpoena motion practice process, that one of Trump's lead lawyers in Georgia, somebody by the name of Ray Smith III, is also a target in Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis's criminal investigation into Georgia 2020 election interference in this motion filed by Ray Smith's lawyer. And guess who Ray Smith's lawyer is? Actually, a letter sent by Ray Smith's lawyer, a motion filed by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's lawyer. Ray Smith's lawyer is Donald Trump's former ambassador to Luxembourg. You see what's going on here. Uh, it is mentioned that Ray Smith is invoking the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination and doesn't want to testify in that 
case. Also, as the Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney rejected Donald Trump's attempt to make more frivolous legal filings in court this week, challenging the special grand jury process, challenging the constitutionality of it, challenging the judge's ability to stay the judge, challenging the Fulton County District Attorney ability to stay on the case. The judge is like, enough is enough. And meanwhile, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fawny Willis, indicated that indictments against, she didn't say this specifically, but the implication was against Donald Trump and his criminal co-conspirators will likely take place somewhere in the July 31st into August timeframe. And she told uh, judges uh, who practice or judges who are there in the superior court system in Fulton County, as well as the lawyers in her office to maybe schedule remote appearances during that time frame. Wow, a lot to discuss, Michael Popak. I'm Ben Micellis. If you didn't know that, it says it on my shirt. I am Ben. Michael Popak, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I think we just did the whole show. We're done. Good night, everybody. See you next week. So on the uh, uh, on the first segment, time for the Popak Porter board about who's testified, who hasn't. Here's my board. We've got the gang of eight, right? We've got Luna, Miller, Scavino, Ratcliffe, O'Brien, Cuccinelli, McEntee, and Meadows. Luna having now gone in. Everyone has testified except for McAtee and Meadows. And we'll talk about what all that means next. And that specific group you mentioned are from a assertion of executive privilege that Donald Trump tried to make. He tried to block their testimony. The Department of Justice sought to compel it. The judge ordered that those individuals must testify. Uh, Again, Donald Trump losing that motion and Now all of those individuals, most of them have testified and we're just waiting on a few. And so as we talk about this episode of make attorneys get attorneys, as I was doing that intro, I was just reflecting like you've got like all these people under investigation, right? Like, or judges have found the crime fraud exception applies, or they've testified before grand juries for their criminal, for their involvement in Donald Trump's uh, alleged criminal schemes. Like we're talking about Evan Corcoran and Rudy Giuliani, Alina Habak, Christina Bob, Ray Smith, Joe Takapina, Sidney Powell, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Boris Epstein, in some form or fashion are under scrutiny by judges or disciplinary authorities or the special counsel. Council, and it just goes to show you what happens when you don't just represent Donald Trump, but you then try to take on that persona. And, and, and this is just demonstrations of what happens. But let's get right into the show, Popak. I gave a pretty long intro. So if you can, just tell us what's going on with Nick Luna's testimony before the grand jury and why that was actually very, very important. I love this one. I love this particular uh, witness coming in before the grand jury, stripped of all executive privilege. Here's a great picture for those that are watching us of Dick Luna. He was the uh, personal aide to Donald Trump. His job um, in the White House, they used to call it the valet. And then when they uh, made that politically incorrect, they, they called it the personal aide. Donald Trump's had a couple of them, but the one that was his aide while Jan 6 was going on was Nick Luna. 
He's supposed to be responsible for making Donald Trump comfortable every time he enters a room. He's sort of a little bit of an advanced man, carries around all the bag of things that Donald Trump likes to have, whether it's Kleenex or hair dye or face tanning, self-tanning cream or whatever it is Donald Trump likes to have with him. This is the guy that carries it. So he's a fly on the wall in a lot of different rooms. Um, Nick Luna testified, and you and I talked about it back when we talked about the Jan 6 committee. Nick Luna testified already to the Jan 6 committee. There's even an audio of his testimony. There's a, there's a transcript of his testimony in which he told the Jan 6 committee that he observed Donald Trump ripping up presidential documents right before his very eyes. Now, that is a problem for many reasons. One, it's obstruction of justice. Two, it's a violation of the Presidential Records Act, which is at the very heart of Mar-a-Lago and the investigation there. So you've got a witness who under oath says he observed the president of the United States at the time ripping up presidential documents. And then later on, this, this um, Ben, as you know, this dovetails with Maggie Haberman's uh uh, investigative reporting the New York Times, in which those ripped up pieces of paper, i.e. really important historical presidential records, got shoved down toilets and clogged up toilets when they weren't being burnt in Mark Meadows' fireplace in his office as the um, chief of staff. Luna also testified to Jan 6, so we presume he's going to do it again, uh, and has done it again before the grand jury, uh, telling the truth, that Mark Meadows, on at least one occasion, told Luna that he was not to attend a meeting with Donald Trump that he normally would have attended. And that was a meeting with state legislators in and around November, uh, the end of November of uh, 2020, right after the election. We know from the White House logs that Trump met with the Pennsylvania Republican delegation on the 25th of November, and he met with the Michigan delegation on the 20th of November. And one or both of those meetings, Mark Meadows instructed Nick Luna not to attend that meeting that Donald Trump was having with those legislators. Look, we know now what that was about. That was the fake elector scandal and or Donald Trump pressuring Republicans in state houses not to recognize Joe Biden's election, not to certify the election, and to find ways to throw it over to the House and then to the state legislators to, in order to make himself president and all of that. So that is um, that is Nick Luna, who's now gone in. And we just went through that, that Popak Porter board with Ben, with you, Ben, about all of the people, the only people now in the gang of eight which is uh, chief, then chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court, Beryl Howell, now Jeb Boesberg, stripped all of these people of all of their executive privilege, most of them are not lawyers, and forced them to testify. They've now all gone in except for, right, McEntee, who is also an aide like Luna, and Meadows. But Ratcliffe, National uh, National Intelligence Director, O'Brien, National Security Council, Cuccinelli, acting deputy head of the Department of Homeland Security. They all went in. Stephen Miller, when he's not busy running a law firm to help white people get their jobs back, uh, he was a, a main aide. Scavino went in two weeks ago, the guy that probably wrote all the tweets for Donald Trump. And now Nick Luna. And, uh, uh, and everybody that's in that aide position, Ben, I'll leave it on this, has testified or will testify to Jack Smith. Walt Nauta 
N-A-U-T-A, who who was the personal aide to Donald Trump after he left the White House at Mar-a-Lago. He's in hot water with Jack Smith about moving those boxes for Mar-a-Lago after they told the Department of Justice that they were under lock and key and, and safe and safeguarded and had been caught on video. So that personal aid position, which is like in every room the president is in, is really, really important to prosecutors. And I'm sure that uh, the Nick Luna testimony was compelling. Parlator, you know, we've talked about um, extensively. What's your view of, uh, I want to get your handle on why you think Parlator. Let me just put it this way. Parlator was brought in to be the main Mar-a-Lago counsel after, especially after Evan Corcoran got stripped of his attorney-client privilege under the crime fraud exception and a finding by then Chief Judge Beryl Howell that he likely participated or unwittingly at best in a crime fraud with his client, Donald Trump, stripping him of privilege. He had to depart the case and no longer handle it. Parlator stepped in to be the lead lawyer. The timeline for departure is really Weird. I want to hear what you think happened. You've got a letter that Parlator wrote on his letterhead, along with um, Jim Trustee, to the uh, Republican House Subcommittee on Intelligence, asking them to take over the Mar-a-Lago investigation and claiming that it was all just a big mistake. It was an accident. They had the rush to move out of the White House. They just overpacked the boxes. Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. And this is all much ado about nothing. That's on the 26th of April. But then Two weeks later, Donald Trump in the CNN town hall says, no, I took all that stuff. I'm allowed to take it. I'm allowed to take it. I took it. I showed it to people and everything is fine. And then a week or two later, Tim Parlator says, I'm out. Now, he had testified, Ben, as everybody knows who follows the show, earlier in December, he testified, but with his attorney-client privilege intact in front of one of Jack Smith's grand juries. Why do you think Parlator left and what do you think Jack Smith does with him now? Well, if you go to the parlatory letter, it is on the parlatory letterhead, not the Jim Trusty letterhead. And it wasn't just Jim Trusty who signed it. It was basically all of the various Trump lawyers signed that letter. But the fact that it was on the parlatory letterhead leads me to believe that was parlatory's legal strategy. And frankly, from a purely technical legal lens, it is the only defense that Donald Trump could make. And so actually pursuing what a good lawyer who is given the set of facts that they are given with respect to Donald Trump and you're told, how would you defend this? You would not say a president, a former president can do whatever the hell they want or a president can declassify things telepathically or the Presidential Records Act. All that means is that you could steal things and then negotiate later. That's simply not what the law is. And I know part of the big lie strategy by Donald Trump and others in Trump's orbit is you just repeat the lie over and over again. But that's simply not what the Presidential Records Act states. And also the crimes Donald Trump is being investigated for violation of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, concealment and mutilation are independent federal criminal statutes outside of a Presidential Records Act 
process where nobody is above the law and you can't steal these records. And then furthermore, Donald Trump directly and or through his lawyers just continued to lie to the National Archives, then to the FBI and the Department of Justice, submitting false affidavits consistently, saying that they've returned things when they didn't return things. So if you're dealt that deck, you play that deck the way Tim Parlatori did. And in the letter he sent to Congress, he wrote, this was all basically a big misunderstanding. He referred to the documents at Mar-a-Lago as being spillage. He blamed the GSA, the General Services Administration, government bureaucracy, White House staff for packing the stuff that shouldn't have been sent to Mar-a-Lago. And then he says in the letter, look, the Department of Justice shouldn't stepped in. This was all a big misunderstanding. It should have been in Congress to begin with. And once the DOJ got its claws on it, they elevated something very quickly to criminal that shouldn't have been criminal. I completely disagree with that premise that, uh, of course, the DOJ should have been involved. I disagree with the premise that it shouldn't have been elevated there. But nonetheless, that is actually from a strictly technical procedure how you would go about a defense in this case. And look, as part of what we do here at Legal AF, we provide an actual legal education of what the of, of what you would do in this situation. Now, you may say, Ben, don't tell Trump what he should do. You're going to be coaching. It, it, it's far past that, okay? Don't worry. He's already done every single thing wrong because then what he did was he stepped in to this so-called town hall. And when he was in this town hall, he then basically said, I took what I took. I can take whatever I want to take. I declassified it telepathically. And that timing, Popak, directly contradicts, directly contradicts what Parlatori's letter said and the defense that Parlatori was trying to build step by step. And I think Parlatori basically just said, look, I've been trying to build this with your MAGA allies in the House of Representatives. You are basically unrepresentable. <laughs> it is impossible to be your lawyer. Good luck, everybody else representing it. And I think what he's also worried about, too, is he's testified before the grand jury back in December of 2022, and he probably said things that contradicted what Donald Trump said at that so-called town hall. So Trump's out there and here's the thing. You may say, well, Trump said these things before. Yeah, well, he's put them in his social media posts, right? He's put them on, on uh, you know, through Truth Social or whatever he, whatever his apps are, or he said it through his kind of intermediaries. But to have him up there in that so-called town hall saying it, I think to a parlatory, you know, he says, look, they're just going to play that as an exhibit. And not only that, but now Trump is kind of further digging the hole and stepping into even more crimes here. The writing's on the wall where special counsel Jack Smith is going with this because not only did Trump clearly engage in the criminal conduct, but every day Trump engages in more crimes that are only going to add to further indictment. So, so that's ultimately yeah, my the only thing I would what, mm -hmm. The only thing I would add to that is Tim Parlator is also a fact witness. He is the appointed records custodian, because there wasn't one, for Donald, for Donald Trump and um, Beryl Howell, who was at the time supervising the subpoenas 
and the search warrant, and now Jeb Bosberg, chief judge of the D.C. Circuit Court. Parlator is the is the is the on the record custodian of record for all documents at Trump Tower, the residence for Donald Trump on Fifth Avenue in New York, at Bedminster, the golf course, at Mar-a-Lago the second time around, and a storage unit paid for by taxpayers in West Palm Beach and signed that the way Christine Bob signed it to say that everything's been searched. And they did find uh, another little mini wave of documents at Mar-a-Lago. They found two documents in um, storage unit in West Palm Beach. And Tim Parlator's name is the bottom of all those as the records custodian. Remember that the government and Jack Smith's prosecutors were pushing the then chief judge to force them to have a records custodian who'd sign on the dotted line under oath that the search had been done. And I'm wondering now if Tim Parlator is having second thoughts, having made himself not just the lawyer, but also crossed over to becoming a fact witness, much the way that Alina Haba became a fact witness when in New York, she had to go to Mar-a-Lago right in the middle of the, just prior to the search warrant being executed to go search through Donald Trump's desk for things responsive to the civil fraud case by Letitia James. You know, this this is another theme. The one theme that you've brought forward in our intro is make attorneys get attorneys. The other theme is if you're a lawyer, try to not be a fact witness in your client's own case because it will only get you in trouble. And Donald Trump, though, makes that impossible because most criminals, once they're caught and they hire the criminal defense lawyer, they kind of stay a bit quiet with it, right? They kind of shut it down while they're being represented. Donald Trump is engaged in an insurrection right now. Donald Trump each and every day is trying to overthrow our democracy. He's trying to destroy our economy. He's still trying to cuddle up with foreign authoritarians who wish disaster upon our nation, and that's what makes him unrepresentable. Um, I want to give one more uh, piece of context, and then we got to go on to Rudy Giuliani. You mentioned for a brief moment Stephen Miller's America First Legal. We've gotten a lot of comments about that because it has the letters AF in it. Let's be clear. Stephen Miller is not a lawyer. He's created an organization called the AFL, which has a very official sounding title to it. And what they do is precisely what you said earlier, Michael Popak, which is they just file basically EEOC letters, which isn't even filing. They send letters for a group of people who claim that they hate what the government does. They send a letter to the government because it's all performative. It's actually going nowhere to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And they write letters targeting corporations, which they claim are too woke. And so what they'll do is they'll look for websites of corporations that talk about initiatives to promote women executives or to promote diverse candidates. And then they'll send letters to the EEOC saying that that constitutes discrimination against white males. Then they will put out press releases saying that they've instituted a federal civil rights action against M&Ms or Bud Light or you know, BlackRock or you name the organization, they've probably brought one of these. And then 
they use their right-wing propaganda media echo chamber in the Murdoch entities, the Post and Fox, uh, to start writing about federal civil rights case brought against Mars for Eminem, blah, 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 blah. And then that becomes a culture war du jour of the day. And so I wanted to highlight those tactics here. I also want to highlight, of course, what Rudy Giuliani uh, is now going through, and rightfully so, for his abhorrent conduct. We will talk about the four separate lawsuits that Rudy Giuliani was involved in just this week alone, with two of those being new lawsuits brought against Rudy Giuliani. Let's take a quick break. Your pet's a member of the family. My Lily certainly is. Don't feed them like they're in the doghouse. Give them Gnome Gnome. Gnome Gnome delivers fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs, so you can bring out their best. Gnome Gnome is made with real whole food you can see and recognize, without any additives or fillers that contribute to bloating and low energy. That's because Gnome Gnome uses the latest science and insights to make real good food for your dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, made fresh and shipped free to your door. Gnome Gnome's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions of clean bowls and tail wags. I love my dog so much and feel better giving her better nutrition. And my dog loves the food and other benefits they've seen. Plus, Gnome Gnome comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Gnome Gnome will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Gnome Gnome. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynome.com slash legalaf. Spelled trynome.com slash legalaf for 50% off. Trynome.com slash legalaf. Welcome back to Legal AF. Ben Micellis here. We are live. I'm joined by Michael Popak. Popak, a busy week for Rudy Giuliani. Earlier in the week, there was a sexual assault lawsuit brought under the New York Adult Survivors Act, the same statute that was brought by E. Jean Carroll or utilized by E. Jean Carroll in the case that she prevailed on in the federal case against Donald Trump. And then later, this ShopRite employee, a grocery store employee from Staten Island, brought a lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani. And in addition, Rudy Giuliani was embroiled in other federal actions, a federal court appearance in Washington, D.C. before Judge Beryl Howell and one of his lawyers resigning, uh, saying that the lawyer was not getting paid, a common theme within MAGA. Popak, can you break down everything going on in Giuliani? You know, <clears throat> couldn't happen to a better disgraced former America's mayor and Top attorney in New York. I don't know what's happened. I, I'm just going to make a, a point of personal exception here. I, I grew up in New York. Um, you know, I'm younger than Rudy Giuliani, but I watched him with great respect when he was the U.S. attorney in New York, when he was America's mayor after 9-11. I don't really know what's happened to this gentleman, but he has, he has, uh, his fall from grace has been both stunning and just has gone down to level rings of hell that I didn't even know existed. And here's a perfect example of this week. He's got not one, but two lawsuits filed against him, and he's in hot water in two separate other existing defamation cases brought by um, federal poll workers who he defamed as part of Trump's master plan to get back into the office and to cling to power. 
that's putting aside what you and I are going to end up talking about at the end of July, beginning of August, when I believe he's ultimately indicted in Georgia for election interference by Fawny Willis. But that aside, that's not even that's not even what we're going to talk about now. Let's start with the ones that you and I have done on hot takes and in midweek. You got Noel Dunphy, who filed a New York State Supreme Court, which is a trial level case, but in state court, under oath, meaning she signed it as a verification under penalty of perjury, that everything in it, all those 250 paragraphs are true. And she says that she was hired by by Rudy Giuliani, by his law firm slash lobby firm, whatever it's doing these days, for a million dollar a year business development position. But but really, all Rudy Giuliani wanted to do was to sexually assault her, sexually abuse her, um, be a sexual predator against her, and force her into an unwanted sexual relationship in exchange for her sometimes getting paid for doing her real job and sometimes him not paying her. That's another theme today, which is Rudy Giuliani looks to be on the balls of his backside financially and can't pay anybody, including Noel Dumphy. So she sued him for putting her into a, of course, an untoward sexual uh, position and sexual relationship um, that she claims is very similar to what we saw in the Borat movie. In fact, she reproduces a still, here we have it right here for those that watch us, a still from the Borat movie when Rudy Giuliani did not know he was on a secret camera and went into the, the hotel bedroom with a young woman who pretended to be a reporter, who was really Borat's daughter in the movie, and starts to, well, you see it, put him put his hands down his pants. She claims in her filing that um, all that and more disgusting things happened, um, including him being a racist and anti-Semite, hostile work environment. But buried within it, you and I have talked about it in hot takes and otherwise, buried within it is two bombshells. One of them is she says that she was privy to private emails and text messages between uh, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, Ivanka, uh, Eric, Don Jr., Rupert Murdoch, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Newt Gingrich, and the list goes on, including Robert Costello, who claims to be Rudy Giuliani's attorney, as long as he's getting paid. We'll talk about that next in this particular case. And if she, if she's, I don't think she flashed that card because she thinks, um, oh, I just want everybody to know that I saw it. I think she might have copies and sets of these things. And that would be really important to both Smartmatic and its defamation case against, um, against, uh, 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 Fox and all of that. And in uh, Jack Smith's world, anytime he can get his hands on somebody retaining emails and messages that involve all of these people, he'd like to see it. So I think that'll happen. And then in, in paragraph 132 or so of the complaint, she says there was that Giuliani told her, again, this is under oath. She filed this complaint under oath told her there was a $2 million pay to play. For $2 million, you could buy a presidential pardon from Donald Trump. I sound like an infomercial in the middle of the night. And um, they'll split the money. Trump and Giuliani will split the money. Listen, this is her words, not mine. This is in her complaint. And there is reporting in and around the last couple of years that suggests that Rudy Giuliani told an ex-CIA agent officer about the $2 million uh, sale price on a, on a presidential pardon and others. So there is reinforcing, corroborating information out there about paying for access to Donald Trump through Rudy Giuliani. Uh, here he is counting all the money he's, he's about to make on the pardons on our photo we just put up. So you got all that going on. Then you've got, and I'll let you talk about the ShopRite one, Ben, because I think you did a hot take on it. You've got this 
this poor person that worked in a shop right or was in a shop right food, uh, food store supermarket while Rudy Giuliani was there, came up behind him, patted him on the back, called him a, whatever he called him. Uh, like, there it is. We have it on the video. And uh, Rudy looks a little bit shocked. I think the guy said a couple of choice words there. And, and Rudy told, what happened, Betty? He told the world that he was shot while he was in a supermarket, not knowing there was a video. Yeah, so this uh, employee who worked at the ShopRite in Staten Island, he was rightfully pissed at Giuliani. He was around for a lot of things, obviously. I mean, for being a fascist, for trying to overthrow our democracy. But that was right around the time of the uh, Dobbs decision. Uh, and Rudy Giuliani was out there bragging and boasting about it. Giuliani was there because his son Andrew was doing a vanity run for governor, and Trump and Giuliani were trying to get Andrew to be the governor so that Andrew could eventually pardon Donald Trump for all of his state law uh, crimes uh, that he would be prosecuted for and eventually uh, charged and convicted of. And so you had this situation where... Giuliani was there for this like meet and greet. Staten Island uh, is an area that has more Trumpers than I would like uh, in, in in New York. And the ShopRite employee, Daniel Gill, goes over to Giuliani, kind of just pats him on the back and says, what's up, scumbag, and then walks away. He didn't hit him. He didn't attack him. He patted him on the back. Do I think he should have patted him on the back in general? No but it was definitely not anything of a physical attack. Uh, thereafter, Rudy Giuliani uh, and some of the MAGA supporters around there reached out to the Staten Island police and then uh, made sure that Daniel Gill was not just arrested, but was charged with elder abuse and was charged with a felony for attacking Rudy Giuliani. And so Daniel Gill actually went to prison. Uh, he could, if it was just like a misdemeanor thing, Gill would have just got a ticket. But uh, because of the lies that Giuliani told, he went to jail. Uh, once the video was, uh, uh, once the video surfaced, then it was immediately the charge was immediately dropped to a misdemeanor, and then the case was eventually dismissed once it was clear what happened. But yeah, Giuliani then went on uh, various TV interviews right after and basically said he it felt like he shot me. The vibrations were so significant because he hit me so hard that the woman standing next to me almost fell down because I was hit so hard. And he went all in that he was attacked and assaulted in a very violent manner. That's not at all what took place. And so uh, this Daniel Gill lost his job at ShopRite, no longer a grocery store worker. Uh, his name has been completely muddied up uh, and he was uh, in jail for a period of time. And so he's not only suing Rudy Giuliani for defamation and other uh, tortious conduct, he's also suing the police officers here, the uh, NYPD officers in Staten Island, because he says, look, all they had to do was look at the tape. I told him, I said, look at the tape and you will see. And he said they were just trying to basically do Rudy Giuliani a favor here uh, and got kind of all uh, got ordered by Rudy Giuliani to do this. So the case is against the officers who arrested him as well as Giuliani. So you've got a 
uh, what's called a Section 1983 civil rights claim for a wrongful arrest and malicious prosecution. And then you've got a conspiracy charge against Rudy Giuliani for aiding and abetting that. And then you have these other state law claims against Rudy Giuliani for essentially uh, defaming him. So that's that case. And then, of course, we see Rudy Giuliani, and I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Popak. It's like uh, basketball right now. We'll pass each other uh, the ball <laughs> right here. Then Rudy it's Giuliani... Like so we learn that Rudy Giuliani's lawyer in another case he's being sued for uh, is resigning, saying Giuliani's not paying the bills. And then there's another federal case involving Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who sued Giuliani for defamation in Washington, D.C., where Giuliani has not participated in the required discovery. They sent him document requests, turn over records. And Rudy Giuliani's response is, all of my records are in the possession or were in the possession of the DOJ and FBI when uh, they executed a search warrant. I've been given a forensic uh, copy of what they took from my offices, but I'm too broke to be able to access that. I think he claims he's in arrears close to $300,000 with the electronic discovery company that now controls the forensic image of his, uh, of the various documents that he has. And he says he can't even afford to have them run future searches. So tell us what did judge Beryl Howell yeah. do there? Yeah, let's start with that one. Then we'll go to Bruce Castor, who used to be Donald Trump's impeachment lawyer, bailing out on Rudy Giuliani in another election worker defamation case in Philadelphia. Oh, we have it up there. I'll start with that one. So Bruce Castor, people remember him. There were two guys that defended Donald Trump during the um, second impeachment. You, gotta, you know, you really have to keep track of all the impeachments and criminal prosecutions of Donald Trump. Um, it was him and another guy named David Schein, um, who also represented Steve Bannon. Um, this was the taller of the two gentlemen. And uh, he's the Philadelphia, suburbs of Philadelphia, Republican right-wing uh, lawyer. He claims that Rudy Giuliani, in the case that was brought uh, by Mr. Savage, a lawyer, a uh, election worker who Rudy Giuliani attacked wrongfully, falsely, as being involved in some uh, voter election fraud to flip votes from Biden to uh, from Trump to, to Biden. He claims that Rudy Giuliani is not cooperating with him in terms of setting depositions or providing information, so he can't provide counsel to a client that's not cooperating. And secondly, he was never supposed to be the lawyer. He was supposed to be the local counsel. Some Texas lawyer, unnamed, was supposed to come in for Rudy Giuliani, who never did. Hmm, I could kind of think of what Texas lawyer is out there. Uh, I can think of a couple of them that are uh, that have a, a bar license problems, and that there was supposed to be a litigation fund that was raised for Rudy Giuliani's defense in these cases, and that didn't show up. So Rudy hasn't paid him, and he wants, and he successfully got the court in Philadelphia to uh, grant his motion to withdraw and take him out of the case. So as of right this minute, in that defamation case in Philadelphia. 
uh, Rudy Giuliani has no representation. And Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, as people may recall, is really important to things related to Rudy Giuliani because he lost his New York bar license. He got suspended because of his actions in Pennsylvania in trying to overturn improperly the election. So you got all that going on. Then fast forward, this is this this show should be the one degree, the one degree of separation or one degree of Rudy Giuliani, because everything kind of relates back to him. Ruby Freeman and uh, Shea Moss, the mother-daughter plaintiffs who were just election workers doing their civic duty, working in Fulton County and State Farm Arena, counting votes, and got attacked and accused by Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump himself, claiming that they were bringing in fraudulent ballots in favor of Joe Biden and feeding him into the machine to be uh, to be vote counted, when all they were doing is proper procedure for taking ballots that were counted and putting them in a locked case underneath their desk. It wasn't a secret suitcase, which which Rudy Giuliani told the world on network and cable news that were being that was something untoward about it. They were following proper procedure, but these two two poor women got doxxed mercilessly and attacked by MAGA, so much so that they needed police protection which the judge, Judge Beryl Howell, used to be the chief judge at D.C. Circuit Court, and now just a regular trial judge, acknowledged in her in um, the uh, order that she grant, uh, that the order where she denied Rudy Giuliani's motion to dismiss this defamation case. So the other the other defendant in the case, um, uh, One America Media, which is some right wing news channel that I don't watch, they already got out of the case, paid Ruby Freeman and, and uh, Shea Moss a disclosed settlement amount, apologized on their network to them for the false reporting, but Rudy's still digging in. And he currently has a lawyer, even though he lost the one in Philadelphia, he currently has a lawyer for DC and Judge Beryl Howell has sort of had enough with with the, all of the shenanigans um, and foot dragging and bad faith in discovery, the discovery process that Rudy Giuliani has exhibited, his refusal to schedule depositions, coming up with excuses for why he couldn't attend. He's sick one day. He's got to go to the uh, the chemical oil, the chemical spill in in Ohio another day. Judges had it. He's also not been producing properly emails, WhatsApp messages, and other documents. And the discovery is about to close in that case. There's a deadline the court set for third week in May to shut the door on discovery so that the case can go to trial. But but the plaintiff, understandably, is not ready because of things like we, you know, Jenna Ellis avoiding being served with her subpoena for a deposition, Rudy Giuliani refusing to sit for a deposition. Um, somebody we'll talk about later, which is another lawyer for Donald Trump and the deposition they want to take of him. So Beryl Howell said, you know what? We're going to do an evidentiary hearing in my courtroom, and I want Rudy Giuliani in my courtroom. And that was just a day or so ago. And I think it was yesterday. And in that courtroom, which is very unusual, just for people that like to follow our kind of uh, Legal IF uh, Law School Academy, Generally, lawyers go to conferences about discovery abuse or discovery sanction, not the clients. She ordered Rudy Giuliani to appear in person, not by video. He showed up, and this was a three-hour hearing. And the judge said, why, why aren't you producing the emails and WhatsApps? And they came up with the story that you gave a little bit about, a little bit ago, Ben, about, uh, well, you know, all of my 
uh, devices two Aprils ago were were confiscated in a in a, in a dawn raid of my apartment, and um, I, I only have images of all of those things. So that's one. She said, "All right, that it sounds like you have it in your possession." What else? She says, uh, "It's really expensive for me to go through all of my servers and documents and and devices, and and there's an outside service, but they want three hundred and twenty thousand dollars." And she's like, "Okay," and I don't have the money, and and literally pled poverty. Those because the judge recited those words in her courtroom and said, I am impoverished and I can't pay for that. And she said, basically, I don't believe you at your word. You're going to have to file a financial affidavit, which is completely unusual. So that everybody knows until you get to the end of a case and you get like a money judgment or there's punitive damages involved, you rarely get any financial information from the other side. It's just not relevant to the usually the underlying facts of a case. And and you know, there is case law that protects people from having their most intimate financial affairs laid bare in a lawsuit. You know, you may owe somebody money, but it doesn't mean in the beginning of the lawsuit you get to turn over all your bank records. However, if you're going to look a federal judge in the eye and say I don't have the money, she may require you to prove it. So now, Ben, he's got to do this whole x-ray process where he has to reveal everything about his financial affairs, how much he's owed, how much he owes, who owes him money, who does he owe money to, what happened in his divorce uh, the, <laughs> with uh, Judy Nathan. Like, uh, where is your money and why don't you have 320? So this completely backfired for him. I'm sure off the seat of his pants, he decided to BS the uh, tap dance in front of the federal judge and say, I just can't afford it, and didn't expect her to turn back on him and say, prove it. Sworn affidavit, all your finances now. I know he wasn't expecting that. He was grumbling outside the courtroom, but he's now going to have to comply. He's not going to be able to appeal that. That's not really an appealable order. So Rudy doesn't have money to pay his lawyer in Philadelphia. Rudy's has looks like he has very little money, but if he lied to that federal judge, and this is where he's got a problem. He's so he's so used to like double talking. If he lied to her and he doesn't disclose every bank account, stock account, real estate owned and all of that and his debts as, as if he were like a bankrupt person filing a bankruptcy petition. And she catches that that he misled her in court about the amount that he really has available to pay for these things. He's in serious crap, including contempt, civil contempt or criminal contempt. I mean, as much as we have issues with Rudy Giuliani, I pray for him that he didn't just lie to the federal judge about his finances. Well, I don't pray for him there, and I'll leave you. <laughs> I'll leave you with this final thought on this topic before moving on to what's going on in Fulton County, Georgia, which is very frequently on this show and throughout the Midas Touch Network, we talk about how a legal strategy for Trump or a Giuliani backfires. I think it backfires on their lawyers to the extent their lawyers actually think they're representing a client, right? And that's the big fallacy here. Like a Takapina, a parlatory, we're going to talk about Ray Smith in a little bit. To the extent they think they're representing a client, they are not in Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not somebody, and Rudy Giuliani isn't somebody actually trying to defend themselves within the justice system we have here in the United States of America. 
They are actually defending a force of fascism that is seeking to rip apart the institution. So when we talk about is this backfiring, what if I give you this hypothesis, which is that the very plan is to lose claim victimhood, and then try to galvanize the cult to rip down the system. That the very essence of MAGA is being a victim, is being a loser, and trying to coalesce a coalition of fascist-leaning losers to try to rip apart fiber by fiber this great justice system we have here. And when I think about what also went down this week, where you have Jim Jordan, who is not even a licensed lawyer running the Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives. And as a licensed lawyer, as someone who teaches law, as someone who practices law, the fact that you as the Republican Party would have chairing your Judiciary Committee, someone who is not a licensed lawyer, and perhaps that's the nicest thing you can say about Jim Jordan, who, when confronted in these hearings by real lawyers, people like superstar Democratic freshman Congress member Dan Goldman, a former federal prosecutor who says, you're not even following the rules here. What does somebody like a Jim Jordan say? Well, it's the prerogative of the chair to do this. The prerogative of the chair. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what goes down in Russia. That's what what that's what goes down in fascist countries where, you know, the prerogative of the chair is to do this. So when we also show you these videos on the Midas Touch Network of like what goes down in the Judiciary Committee where you actually have like fake whistleblowers that the GOP is trotting out there who are being paid by losers like Cash Patel who tried to overthrow our democracy. When they put these people there and they call them whistleblowers, people who sympathize with January 6th insurrectionists, that is the system that they want to create. So when we talk about, is it backfiring? One of the things I also want to scrutinize is the very nature of what Trump and his ilk are trying to do is to play the system needs to be destroyed and we need to build in its place this dystopian apocalyptic fascist system where by decree it is the prerogative of people like Jim Jordan, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, all taking their orders from Donald Trump. Let's talk about the real law and order in Fulton County, Georgia, right after this quick break. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Look, everyone knows how annoying cheap razors are. The cuts, the irritation, the frustration. And don't get me started with subscription razor services, the headaches that those can cause. That's why you gotta meet Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the ISS. That's the International Space Station and Mars Rover. And now they're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. 
Razor blades, they're like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes. A bad shave, it isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. By using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. It gets better. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard dual-edge blades to give you that old-school shave with the benefits of new-school tech. Once you own a Henson razor, it's only about three to five dollars per year to replace the blades. My first shave with the Henson razor was incredibly refreshing. The design is sleek and the durability is top notch. The Henson razor is truly so much better than your run of the mill quote unquote traditional razor brand. And the affordability factor is absolutely game changing. No more wasting your money on expensive blades. With Henson shaving, you can get a year of blades for just $5. Okay, so this is what you have to do. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash legal AF to pick up the razor for you and use our code LEGALAF and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash LEGALAF and use code LEGALAF. This podcast is sponsored by Miracle Made Sheets. Whether you want to get more fit, be a better parent, or get more done at work, there is one thing that will help, and that's better sleep. With Miracle Made Sheets, you can tap into the power of self-cooling temperature regulation, which has been shown to improve deep sleep quality by over 20%. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made Sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Clean sheets mean less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. Go to trymiracle.com slash legalaf to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And with Mother's and Father's Day right around the corner, this is the perfect way to give someone you love the gift of better and more luxurious sleep. Save over 40% and be sure to use our promo code LEGALAF at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in their product, they backed it with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash LegalAF and use the code LegalAF to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash LegalAF to treat yourself. Thanks again to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. 
Welcome back to Legal AF. Ben Mycel is joined by Michael Popak. We inch closer as we approach this summer, Michael Popak, to the indictments in Fulton County, Georgia, that we have been talking about here on Legal AF for some time. Big news out of Fulton County uh, this past week where uh, the Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis indicated when these indictments may take place. I want to pass that part over to you. But first, the theme of this episode, episode, MAGA, make attorneys, get attorneys. We've been talking about that Ruby Freeman, Shea Moss defamation case against Giuliani. And one of the things that Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's lawyers are trying to get in discovery is also the deposition of someone by the name of Ray Smith III. Ray Smith III was Donald Trump's lead lawyer in Georgia, filing all of those frivolous Georgia lawsuits for Donald Trump. Ray Smith III was also at the fake elector meeting in Georgia, where the MAGA Republican signed a fake electoral certificate claiming that Trump won instead of President Biden when President Biden was indeed the winner in Georgia. And they sent that certification to Washington, D.C. to be counted on January 6th. And so Ray Smith was subpoenaed by Freeman and Moss's lawyers. And Ray Smith kind of did the MAGA shuffle. First, some other lawyer shows up, some lawyer Martin shows up, and he's like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be cooperative. Then some other lawyer shows up, and the lawyer that shows up is someone by the name of Randy Evans. By the way, Randy Evans was Donald Trump's uh, ambassador to Luxembourg, so just someone in Donald Trump's inner circle. And then Randy Evans tells Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman's lawyer, hey, Let's be civil about this. Okay, okay. Ray Smith will invoke his Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. He's a target of the Fulton County District Attorney's criminal investigation, but let's come up with a streamlined process where he can show up. He'll invoke his fifth. Let's not waste time here, right? So Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's lawyers, the day before the deposition, to streamline the process, send over the categories and topics. Here's what we'll be asking. And then Randy Evans says, you know what? Uh, actually, Ray Smith is not going to be showing up anymore. These topics uh, are, are way too broad, and there's no way he's going to you know, it, sit there and, and endure such questioning and have to invoke the fifth. So Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss's lawyers filed a motion with the court saying, look, what, look what's going on here. That's how we learned that Ray Smith, another Trump lawyer, make attorneys, get attorneys, is under criminal investigation by Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. Popak, anything you want to add regarding Ray Smith? And then tell us what we learn about what we've learned about the timing of the Fulton County District Attorney uh filing of of an actual the 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 criminal case against Donald Trump and co-conspirators. Ray Smith the third is a bad, bad man. <laughs> he uh was very, very active, which is why he's in the crosshairs of Fawny Willis's investigation. I don't know about witness targets somewhere in the middle. That sounds like he's between a rock and a hard place. I think he's a target. I think he's a target. And we will see at the end of July, the beginning of August, about whether he'll be indicted. But he was the point person 
He was really the lead lawyer, not Giuliani, for all things Georgia election interference by Donald Trump, filing all those lawsuits. He used uh, a now disgraced, um, soon to be former lawyer, Lynn Wood, to file lawsuits to challenge the certification of the election in Georgia, which lost, to challenge um, the vote count, which lost. Um, in fact, every, as we know, almost every, uh, virtually every case filed by Donald Trump and his band of lawyers failed. Um, that's why, of course, uh, Joe Biden, who won the election and was properly certified that he won the election, is our president. So uh, I don't want to let Ray Smith III off the hook, um, even though we haven't focused much on him. I think Fawny Willis has. And certainly Shea Moss and uh, Ruby Freeman, the mother-daughter team that's uh, suing over the, the de- rightly suing over defamation, wants to hear what he has to say. And Beryl Howell, the judge is going to decide whether he, and I think will make him sit for his deposition and he can try to take the Fifth Amendment. You and I have talked at length, we'll do it again soon, about what taking the Fifth Amendment means in the context of a civil case where you're also um, the subject of it. And the jury will be instructed to take an adverse inference in favor of the plaintiff and against um, against this person. Every time they ask him a question, um, were you, you know, uh, were you, uh, were you involved with the uh, lawsuits uh, concerning the interference with the election in Georgia? I take the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination. Jury can interpret that as yes, I did something bad. So, um, and we'll see that. We'll, when we ultimately talk about the Manhattan DA and update there at another time. We'll talk about what's going on with the. Um, the Alan Weisselbergs, for instance, of the world and the Fifth Amendment application. So that's Ray Smith. Let's talk about the really the bombshell for me for the week. If I had to pick one development during this week that was the most momentous of the week, it would be Fawny Willis sending a letter to 21 Fulton County, Georgia officials, including the chief judge, informing them that she does not, she would like there to be no other court activity no other trials scheduled by the judge, by judges during a two to three week period in August. She doesn't want any unnecessary personnel downtown. Um, she doesn't want, um, she wants the FBI to be coordinating along with the Sheriff's Department of Fulton County to provide proper security downtown. Why? Well, because the there is a grand jury that'll be meeting at starting July 31st. And if she gets her indictment within a week of that, that in the second or third week of August, she'll be unsealing an indictment. And if we read the tea leaves, including what the uh, the uh, former jury foreperson of the special grand jury, the non-indicting grand jury said that we're not going to be surprised by anybody that they recommended be indicted, then we're going to see Donald Trump indicted. Um, it, and, and have that indictment unsealed during that period. And she is worried, Fawny Willis, about having um, people, descend, bad people against democracy, against justice, descend on Fulton County and try to disrupt that process, causing damage um, and injury and maybe worse to property and people. She said, she told the the 21 officials, the only people from her office that will be in the office not working remotely are going to be her senior executive team, including herself, and armed investigators, people that carry weapons. Those are going to be the ones that are down there. For those that have never visited Atlanta, I go there quite often. My mother actually lives down there, as does my sister. If the triangle of the the, uh, Georgia State House... The uh, the DA 
district attorney's office for Fulton County, her office, and the courthouse are all across from each other. They're all in one triangle. And uh, that would be the ground zero for any kind of attack situation. And she's got to be worried about that. This is not like New York. In New York, there's one, there's one or two ways into the city and one or two ways out through bridges and tunnels. And the New York City Police Department is one of the finest in the world in terms of surveilling problems. You know, they rival most other countries, FBI's or CIA's. And so it was different when Donald Trump was indicted uh, with 34 counts by the Manhattan DA's office. Fulton County sits at the intersection of a ribbon of highways and byways that people can get on and get off of, and they could quickly overwhelm law enforcement, which is why she wants the FBI involved and the sheriff's department and maybe the National Guard if she talks to to Governor Kemp, although he's a Republican, I doubt he will do it. But what did we learn? I think it's going to be indictments the end of July during the next regular session of the grand jury, and then she unseals those indictments in the middle of August and People that we have been talking about at length for the last two years, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, um, and Donald Trump himself, I think, are likely to be indicted under this conspiracy theory and RICO conspiracy theory that you and I have talked about at length. You know, what's so interesting about the RICO conspiracy theory is that even though this, what I'm about to talk about is not evidence of the conspiracy theory, it kind of demonstrates it symbolically. And that is Donald Trump filed this motion, um, I think back in March, to try to disqualify the judge. That's always his go-to move, right? To disqualify Judge Robert McBurney, who's done an incredible job supervising uh, the special purpose grand jury, uh, to disqualify the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, Phony Willis, and her office from further investigating crimes, uh, and also to stop the publication of the special purpose grand jury report. And by the way, the special purpose grand jury, just so everybody remembers, the special purpose grand jury is different than a actual grand jury. Under a very unique provision under Georgia law, you can, you don't have to, you can impanel a special purpose grand jury, which can conduct criminal investigations and then prepare a report and recommendations. Those recommendations don't have to be followed by the Fulton County District Attorney and don't have to be accepted by a future grand jury. But ultimately, the special purpose grand jury uh, does not actually criminally indict, just makes recommendations. So they prepared a report and recommendations, about an eight-page report. Only three of the sections have been unredacted. Everything else remains redacted, so you can't actually see who's being recommended for indictments. We suspect it's Trump, Giuliani, the fake electors, and other co-conspirators. Um, but that report would then go in front of a grand jury. A grand jury will be impaneled. And the timeline that Michael Popak just discussed, that July to August is when we expect the grand jury to actually issue the indictments, to vote on the indictments. Remember, the same way in Manhattan, a grand jury voted on the indictments. So Donald Trump filed a motion saying that the special purpose grand jury report caused him an injury. And that injury gives him standing to file a lawsuit, to file a motion, 
uh, wasn't a formal lawsuit, but a motion within the proceedings to intervene to engage in all of the requested relief to make the requested relief I just described, disqualify the judge, block the report from coming out, disqualify the district attorney's office to prevent the report from being used by uh, the grand jury when the grand jury is impaneled. And in response to that, uh, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office basically said, what's your injury? You don't have standing. Why would a report cause you any injury at all? And then also it's frivolous for a variety of other reasons. You can't just say the judge is biased against you because you don't like the judge's ruling. And you can't just claim there's an appearance of impropriety by the Fulton County District Attorney. You have to show hard proof of an actual bias and that the prosecution is being driven by this public malice that's at issue, and you're not following the standards uh, in Georgia for making those claims. But before the Fulton County District Attorney filed that opposition to Trump's motion, somebody joined Donald Trump's motion. A joinder was filed saying, me too, I want to have the same things that he has. We're related, aren't we, Judge? And that was someone by the name of Kathy Latham. Who's Kathy Latham? Kathy Latham is the former chair of the Coffee County GOP in Georgia. She's a fake elector. And not only a fake elector, she was the person who let Donald Trump's campaign forensic people to go into the Coffee County election offices and steal election data from the office to steal private election data on voters so that Trump and his ilk can spread the conspiracy theories about why they claim they won Georgia when they were just completely and utterly lying. So if you think about a RICO and racketeering uh, type of charge that deals with a common plan and scheme such that you charge the mafia boss with the conduct of the kind of lieutenants and, and other individuals under them, just think about this kind of tree and network. You've got Donald Trump. Under Donald Trump, you got Sidney Powell and Giuliani. They first wanted to steal or to have uh, the Department of Defense or the Department of Homeland Security seize voting machines. Um, when it turned out they couldn't get that done, they said, well, what if we did this? What if we had local election officials who were sympathetic to MAGA conspiracies just steal the data from the local election office? Then you don't need to actually seize the machines. So then they reached out to people like Kathy Latham. And by the way, this took place in other states as well. There's an example of this in, in, in Michigan that's being investigated there. So then Kathy Latham lets in these Trump-hired forensic people who steal the election data. So the, 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 the crimes that Kathy Latham can be charged with are ultimately can be imputed as part of the common plan and scheme to charge Donald Trump with the theft of the election data using the racketeering RICO statute modality that I just described for you right there. So when Kathy Latham then joins Donald Trump's motion, that is an example of backfiring. Maybe not. <laughs> so then it just looks like 
okay, like if you're Trump's lawyer, you're like, we don't want her to join. We don't, we don't want to be shoulder to shoulder with that person. We want to separate. So that was an interesting development there. But then Trump's lawyer, after the Fulton County District Attorney's Office filed their opposition, saying that Trump's not even injured, like this is a frivolous motion, deny it. Trump's lawyer said, we want 21 days to file a reply. And the judge says, you know what? Not only am I not going to give you 21 days, but I'm not going to give you a reply. Enough. I have too much paperwork here as it is. Like, I don't need to see anything more. If I want more, I'll ask it, but I am good. Your motion to file a reply, Donald Trump, is denied. Popak, any more follow-up you have on that point? Yeah, just just last thing. The the difference between a special purpose grand jury and a regular grand jury that can indict, we've talked about. The reason that Donald Trump hired these lawyers, um, we've talked about them, uh, f- uh, Fiddling and another lawyer locally, is because um, they wanted to try to take away the ability of the uh, prosecutor, Fonnie Willis, to use the results and the development that five or six months of witness testimony, over 70 witnesses testified before the special purpose grand jury, thousands and thousands of documents were presented. And she's allowed under a unique aspect of Georgia law um, that allows hearsay to be brought into the regular grand jury, different than in New York, where you can't have hearsay, you have to have witnesses with knowledge testify live, she's able to bring in under her arm that full report that you and I have never seen that we're dying to see from the special purpose grand jury and present it and the witness statements and the testimony as much as she wants from the special purpose grand jury. And she'll pepper in there. She'll bring in some live witnesses because that's impactful with a jury. You just don't want to bore the jury to death reading out loud transcripts from some other proceedings. So she won't do that. But it gives her a lot of flexibility on how she presents her case, not just the case that she presented to the special purpose grand jury, the case that she's going to present to the normal, regular grand jury. doesn't have to match one-to-one. She she did not necessarily present a, a, a full-blown RICO conspiracy case, <coughs> pardon me, to the special purpose grand jury. She will to the regular grand jury. He's trying to get in the middle of that, Donald Trump, by arguing she can't use any of that because the special purpose grand jury is tainted because of the comments that were made by the um, by some of the jurors, including the, the jury foreperson, and it was biased and it was against him, and and therefore the whole thing should be thrown out. She she has to start all over again and just present her case in its totality to the uh, special uh, to the regular grand jury and not get the benefit of all the work she did at the special purpose grand jury. Let me just make the prediction that attack is going to lose. McBurney, who supervised the actual process, Chief Judge McBurney. From the very beginning, as when he was the chief judge and is still continuing in his role of supervising the, the process, um, had many hearings during the process to talk about process. He even chastised Fawdy Willis a couple of times about things that she did, re- reminded her who she worked for, which was for him, to make sure that process uh, uh, was going well and complimented the special purpose grand jury at the end. He released what he wanted from it. He was fine ultimately with the with the jury four person giving interviews. This is the judge. He is not 
going to invalidate six or seven months of work at the special purpose grand jury to, to deny Fawny Willis the ability to use it at the regular grand jury in July. And they can go take their appeal, uh, whatever they want to do. It would actually ultimately go to the Georgia Supreme Court. Um, but she is going in with the special purpose grand jury material and whatever else she supplements it with to get her indictment against Donald Trump at the end of July. And all of this is very interesting for you and I to talk about, but it's not going to result, I don't believe, in the disqualification or having the entire work of the special purpose grand jury voided. Stay tuned. A lot, a lot, a lot coming down the pipeline in Fulton County out of uh, also special counsel Jack Smith's investigation. Uh, that's currently with the various grand juries in Washington, D.C. I think we'll also be hearing more from Manhattan uh, district attorney. Don't forget as well, you've got the attorney general uh, lawsuit against Donald Trump, which uh, for at least, I mean, at least hundreds of millions of dollars that's scheduled for October 3rd of this year. And as the judge said, come hell or high water, that case will be going to trial as well. Thank you all so much for watching this episode of Legal AF. Do me this favor. If you can make sure if you just watch this on YouTube, you also subscribe on audio podcast as well. So whatever audio podcast device you use, that's Apple, if it's Google Play, if it's Stitcher, if it's Spotify, whichever one you use, just search Legal AF by Midas Touch. Search Legal AF and make sure you hit subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be super helpful if you did that. If you listen only on audio, go to the Midas Touch YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe on YouTube to Midas Touch as well. We are on our way to 1.5 million subscribers here on the Midas Touch Network, which I hope by this summer we can achieve. want to thank all of the legal AFers out there. Oh, by the way, go to store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear and legal AF gear. All the legal AFers, thank you so much. All the Midas Mighty, thank you so much. None of this is possible without you. Michael Popak and I are so grateful for everything you do to protect, preserve, and defend our democracy. Share Legal AF with friends, family, co-workers, colleagues, anybody you know goes a long way to help this show as well. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. And shout out to the Midas Mighty. Mighty.